Some of the people featured on our new faculty podcasts aren't actually new to UK. Some of them have moved to new positions in the UK family, and we want to make sure they get introduced. This podcast is one of those, this time highlighting Beth Connors Mankey of the Department of Writing, Rhetoric, and Digital Studies. My name is Beth Connors Mankey. I'm with the Department of Writing, Rhetoric, and Digital Studies, and I'm an assistant professor in that department. When you first came here, what drew you to UK? Well, I'm pretty excited about what our department does because it combines uh, so many things that over the course of my work, I've tried to put together in different ways, but the, the department does all of those. So it's pretty traditional for departments like mine to teach both composition and rhetoric for those two things to be paired together. But to bring in the digital studies, that engagement, kind of the continual engagement with the new which is what digital studies has to be at this point in time, is interesting to me. That's not to say I'm all that good at tech stuff, but the new, the intellectual challenges of working with new media, which structures thought, which structures the way we compose and present, is interesting to me because it keeps me on my, on my toes. What would you say some of those intellectual challenges are? Well, I mean, one of the things is to think about the way new media structures thought and structures the way we follow thought. So the, a really simple example is the way we embed hyperlinks in text now. When I'm reading a text, now I have this dual challenge to, do I stay in the moment with the argument that I'm reading or the essay that I'm reading, or do I leave that at this moment for a short period and find what they're pointing me to in the hyperlink, or do I leave it and then I stay with that other thing? So in some ways, my reading might be more incomplete than it would have been before. Maybe not. A lot of us don't finish articles. A lot of studies would tell us we don't finish articles, but as a, a researcher, you usually do. And then you would go to the end, and you would follow the work cited after that. So reading isn't reading a one piece isn't as discreet of an experience as it may have been in the past for people who read like me. I would just read one thing at a time and then move on to something else. Also, the way, although research and information was always linked before, right? If you were doing something that was well-researched, you had your work cited page. So it was a web. It was a web then, but now it's very visually a web. I guess that's not right. We think it more metaphorically as the web. It's a natural metaphor to us now. So to think about moving between things and how to make it easier for other people to follow our own movement through things. And that's the biggest challenge with teaching is to get students to understand that helping other people follow your trail is really important because it's a learning experience for them too. Theirs, theirs will take other side roads, mm-hmm. but it leads people through your experience of information or language or whatever you're interested in in a different way than it would have before, I think. Wow. Do you see any new challenges coming to you in the coming year because of your new position? Yes and no. I have some gr- Um, I have grounding at UK. I've been here for a while in different places. The challenge with any new position is do you take it as an opportunity to take some risk yourself and to grow in certain ways? I think that will be the challenge for me is where am I going to take the risk? Because whether or not the position asks me to take new risks, why not do it when there's some change afoot? So, you know, it's a good time to rethink what work I want to do in the classroom with students how that's going to inform my research, how my research is going to inform that. Our department is a new department. It's only been around for about a year as a department per se. So 
we have just now gotten on our feet. So there are all kinds of institutional challenges that will come up. A lot of those have to do with getting majors because we want, when you're new, you want students, you need students. Um, and I love working with students. So that will be one of those things, how to continue to engage with students and let them know about a department that they wouldn't have heard of before, right? Their parents didn't study writing rhetoric and digital studies, and we call ourselves Word. So, you know, it's easy for parents to say, oh, yeah, what about English or journalism or history or business, right? So there's, there's some of that branding aspect, even mm-hmm. informational aspect, like, hey, there's a new entity that we really think is addressing what's going on with discourse, with writing, with, you know, oral composition as well in the, in the digital age. Imagine, if you will, that there are students listening to this right now who maybe are coming to UK and they don't have a major yet or they might want to pick up something else. They don't know what they're doing. It happens. Yeah. What would you tell them to be like, hey, Word's pretty cool. Come check us out. Yeah. Well, one of the things I would do with any student that I was advising, regardless of whether or not they were going to be a Word major, I would ask them to spend some time figuring out what really motivates them, what is going to make them, when no one else is telling them to do it, get up in the morning and do this thing, whether it's like ride a bike for 15 miles or garden or sit down and read or you know dig through archives or whatever, because that's the thing that um, through your career at UK and beyond, that's the only thing that's going to keep you going. You're going to keep changing. You're going to have many more jobs than my grand- grandparents had, than even my parents had. We, we're going to change what we're doing every day a lot. But the only thing that's going to get you through the changes in a way that's true to yourself mm-hmm. is knowing what really motivates you. Now, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy to get up and do the thing because discipline is part of love for something. So if I really love writing, it doesn't mean I want to write every morning at 5 a.m. or sure. 6 a.m., but... The discipline keeps me engaged with the thing that I love. So that's the thing that I would say to students is, you know, what's motivating you? If you are super interested in, I see a sombrero over there, so weaving and hats and culture, okay? That seems like something that you could do with history, you could do with anthropology, you could, you could do with sociology. Those are all things that have to do with culture, material goods, places probably. Word could do any of that as well research, you're going to write about it, you're going to think about how to produce things, how to compose things that lets you communicate what you know about that thing. Mm -hmm. So maybe that person um, is like, yeah, but I really do want to do history. Great. Do history and then also major with us and write articles about it. Do a documentary. Like, do build it out from there. So it's you're taking your knowledge and you're being able to produce something that then you can share with other people. Not that you can't produce things and don't produce things in other majors, but we teach people a lot about how to make it, how to do it really well. Mm-hmm. Okay. UK is a research university. Are you personally doing any sort of research? And if so, can you tell us about it? Sure. My writing and thinking for a long time has been about the public sphere and how people engage with the public sphere. And because I'm a writer and I work in rhetoric, it's a lot about discourse, about how language works there in the public sphere. And so my interest in that started when I worked on prison writing, so writing from people who were imprisoned. So sometimes it was prison writing, political prisoners, like, say, Phil Berrigan, who was a 
anti-Vietnam war activists and ended up in, in prisons in the U.S., or people like Mina Okubo, who she and her family were in the Japanese-American internment camps in the U.S. during World War II. So how do they continue to try to engage the public sphere? And Berrigan was writing memoirs, and he was active in a movement, so that helped him continue, even though he was in a place that was physically taking him out of the public sphere, and the point of that was to silence him, but he was still trying to push out, right? And Mina Okubo, I mean, you had a whole huge group of people who had been silenced and then visually erased from, well, at least on parts of the West Coast, from our culture and from our daily life and from public spaces, right? And she wrote this amazing memoir. She was a fine artist, so it, it's, it's visual and, and text. So that has always really interested me. And then that public sphere and the discourse um, intersects with public spaces a lot. So in that regard, I've thought a lot about whether or not and how women can appear safely in public, especially in urban spaces, so along streets, in parks, in part because if, if women and children are safe in public spaces, it's a barometer for what's going on in the culture at large. And that's not to say threats to men aren't also a, a barometer, but if you can't take a child to a park, there's something really wrong with that park space, right? Mm-hmm. It's not okay in some way. An example of questions of women in public space are the the three young women who were um, pulled off the street in Cleveland by Ariel Castro and then imprisoned in his house for, I can't remember how long, but many years. And that's a relatively recent story that's been in the last couple years. But the question of if it's not safe for a person to be in a public space, it probably also means that that person doesn't have access to the public sphere and discourse in the public sphere. Um, And so that's how the space and language kind of come together for me. Okay. What do you most hope to bring to the UK community in the next year? What I hope is I hope that I bring a passion or an enthusiasm that really um, connects with students and makes them feel like, you know what, things are possible in the world for me after school. They're possible for me in the classroom, right? But that they're possible for them in the world after they graduate because there's no sure path for, uh, I'll throw a a number out there, for 90% of our students anymore because we're in an age that has shifted, right? There's no sure path in terms of jobs for most people. Mm -hmm. Even if you're in a traditional path, like being a doctor, Affordable Care Act has shifted that. So what seemed safe before is no longer safe, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But if students can feel like they come out of school with confidence that there's possibility, there's not surety, there's not certainty, but that there's possibility and that if they work hard, those possibilities are going to appear for them because they've set the groundwork for it, I will feel really happy with having brought that. Thank you for listening, and thank you to the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of Writing, Rhetoric, and Digital Studies for making this podcast possible. 